Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, April 12, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, April 10th, is 7466. That's 7466. This morning, A Vision for You presents Clearing the Path to the Promises. The 12 steps, as clearly outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. The untreated compulsive overeater is in the grip of a disease that destroys life. The real advantage of the 12 steps is that they are a practical and specific path that inevitably leads to a spiritual awakening, much more than just the mere elimination of binge foods, a whole new life, a reordered life, a rehabilitated life. Many people consider the program of recovery, the 12 steps, one of the greatest miracles of the 20th century. There's no telling how many lives have been touched by the 12 steps and the promises of recovery that manifest in our lives after completing the process of spiritual transformation. Joining us this morning is Scotty Kay from New York. Scotty is dedicated to living the 12-step way of life, which includes service to others through his intensive work with compulsive overeaters and carrying the message of recovery. And welcome to you, Scotty. Thanks for your service. Hey, Leah, can you hear me okay? Great. Oh, look at that. Good morning, everybody. This is Scott, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I wanted to uh, just thank you guys for an opportunity for this. Uh, Originally, I was thinking about putting together a step six and seven workshop and was just thinking about it and was just in the back of my head. And then Leah reached out to me just to say that there's a spot that opened on April 12th. And and, uh, I said, you know what, instead of doing the six and seven thing, um, I'm uh, going to be leading a retreat in Boston in, in a few weeks, and uh, I'm going to be doing an entire big book weekend there. And I said, you know, well, let me just let me just practice some of that, some of the, some of the fun stuff I'm going to be uh, talking about there all weekend here in like a 45 minute presentation. Um, something I've done here before, back in 2013, uh, it was my very first time doing one of these, so I spoke for an hour and 15 minutes and just babbled on about my life, about the steps, about this and about that. And it's good stuff. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It's just there's a lot of it. Um, so you know, I've I've sort of honed that down and uh, had some growth in that time period. And just uh, wanted to focus today on carrying this message uh, to others and um, you know, clearing the path to the promises. Meaning, there, there's so many people running around our fellowship. You know, if if we just stay on these phone lines, if we just stay on a vision for you. You can get kind of, it's sort of a community where there's a lot of recovery, a lot of good stuff happening. And when you go outside of this and you actually go into into real OA, go to go to your local meetings, you go out there and you see what's out there and you see what's happening in, in the universe. There's so many people who are not doing their inventories, who are just not doing the steps. They just come to meetings, they sit around, they, they go through uh, just a, a process where they're just basically discussing how much weight they lost, how much this, how much that. They read the steps, they read the traditions, and then they go home. And they, they you know, rinse, repeat, rewash, repeat, rinse, et cetera. And 
so you know it, it made they made fun of it on the TV show Mike and Molly, and that's how the show began because that's how Mike and Molly met. We're in an Overeaters Anonymous meeting, and I looked at that and I was appalled. I was like, oh my god, is it really? You know, and and I had to think to myself, yeah, I've been to meetings all over this country. I've been to meetings in forty states. I've been to meetings in nine countries. I've done workshops everywhere. Um, I've done a lot of a lot of you know service. But at the same time, I've also just gone into meetings and just sat there and chilled and, and listened to what is said. And it's just crazy in the sense that there's so many people that if they didn't read the 12 steps and they didn't read the 12 traditions, I think I'm in a Weight Watchers meeting. You know, I've gone to Weight Watchers meetings. We used to sit there. There's some leader who talks about, you know, success and about this and about that and, and, and best practices for eating this and eating that. And then there's a few people who share some successes and there's a few people who share some non-successes and then, and then uh, they go home, you know? So, I mean, you might as well do that. Um, So, you you know, I mean, and then when I really think about my recovery, you know, I'm not a weight watcher. I'm a compulsive overeater. And thanks to, thanks to Overeaters Anonymous, you know, the incredible fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous, my higher power, who I choose to call God, and to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't found it necessary to compulsively overeat for just over 12 years. On March 6th, just a month ago, a little bit over a month ago, um, I had my 12-year abstinence anniversary. And, um, you know, for that, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful because, you know, I've been in program for just, just under 24 years. In June, it'll be 24 years. So half of that time has now been abstinence time. And I'm grateful for that. And, um you know, I, I've I've had the success that I've had because of the big book, because of the steps, because I did my inventory, um, because I shared my inventory, because I, I did the things that are necessary to do in order to bring about this recovery process. And and um so the the key for me is is to, you know, go to meetings, go to my local meetings. I talk to so many people uh, across the country who just don't go to their local meetings because of what I just shared about some local meetings that are out there. Um, and I'm blessed. I mean, I'm in New York City, so there's plenty of meetings everywhere. And, you know, I don't only go to my, my strong meetings. I go to my not-so-strong meetings and be the strong person that they might need there. Um, you know, it's just it's just a matter of finding what is necessary to, to help others and, 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 you know, pushing the right buttons to get people to really see that, that there's a better way of life out there, that it's not just about putting, you know, dieting and losing the weight and moving on. Cause that's, that's, you know, that's a diet club. You know, we're not a diet club. Um, I'll tell you that it's 837 right now here in New York city. It's on the Eastern time and it's 837. And I always share this whenever I qualify. There's no reason why anybody ever has to compulsively overeat again. There's absolutely no reason. I don't care what you did before this meeting. I don't care what you what you did in the bathroom before this meeting. I don't care what you're eating right now. Put it down. And I can tell you that right now, there's no reason why you ever have to compulsively overeat again for the rest of your life. Yeah, there's going to be work that needs to be done. But at the same time, all of us have done it. The, the ones that, that, you know, you listen to these phone calls, the people that are on these lines every day, they do it. We're doing it. We're out there in the trenches. Besides not compulsively overeating, we're carrying the message. And carrying the message is the most important thing we can possibly do to ensure our recovery. So, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, my history... Scotty? Yes? Sorry to interrupt you. I just want to make sure we hear every word. Can we improve the sound quality? Is there... Are you on speaker or... 
Can you talk closer um, to the mic? I mean, if I flip the phone this way, would it help? Let's try it. Let's okay. Let's give that a try. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. And no need to rush. We want to get every word, so thank you for your help. Okay. Thanks. No, mm-hmm. I, I always talk I always talk a million miles a minute, but... Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> Not all I'll of us my... are New Yorkers. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Well, that's that's why thank you this good. is recorded. It's, it's thank good. you, Leah. Okay. Well, that's why these things are recorded so we can listen to them over and over again um, if we need to. So, but but yeah, I mean, the the key for me is for me, I my humble beginnings. I started compulsively overeating at the age of eight. Um, I say eight because I look at school pictures. I look at at uh, uh, just things around my life at the time. Um, and I, I, all I remember is that being yelled at by my mother or being hit by my mother, which was a regular occurrence in my house, I ran into the refrigerator, grabbed an orange, ran into the bedroom, and just tore it apart and ate it. And when I, when I ate that orange, it was just an orange, something I ate you know, pretty much every day. Um, but back then, when I ate that orange at that age, um, after being just yelled at or hit, that orange did more for me than nothing ever, than nothing ever did. It but it took away the pain. It took away the pain of the slap. It took away the embarrassment and the shame of being yelled at. It took away just everything. And it did for me like nothing ever could. Um, and like any good addict, I chased that high for years and years and years. And anytime I ever had any sort of pain or excitement or happiness or sadness or, you know, this, my favorite baseball team won, my favorite baseball team lost, whatever the case is, I looked to food for that. Um, my highest weight that I, I uh, had in our fellowship um, is 508 pounds. Um, I uh, came into program at the age of 21 years old. So I've been in, like I said, I've been in program. So I've been in program longer than I haven't been in program. And so I, uh, it, more of my story is I went to, uh, again, being fat, white, and Jewish in the Bronx growing up, I, I was sent to a religious school. Um, to get me out of the public school system and going into this religious school, uh, I found that there were bullies there too. And if you weren't religious, if you didn't practice, you know, Orthodox and, and, and not only Orthodox, but like militant Orthodox, um, very Zionistic, very whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm not putting a judgment on the religion. I'm putting a judgment on the people who, who practiced it there. And, you know, they, they um, made it, clear that if you weren't religious and you were part of the non-religious kids and you were nothing and if i was nothing i went to the bottom of that pile because i was against the fat kid and and um had no people skills i had i had nothing i, I didn't have cool things to say i wore big huge glasses i had the big jufro what they call it um i had you know just i i, I was not um it just, there was nothing exciting about me. And I just always fell to the bottom of every heap that I was in. And, you know, when you say cream rises to the top, well, I was always at the bottom. And so I figured that if I faked being religious and got in with this, this religious crowd, then at least I could be in the bottom of that group and then be above these non-religious kids. So that's sort of what I did. So I faked being religious and I learned all about the religion from their teachings of it. So it was a very angry, you know, if you don't do this, if you don't follow this law and this ordinance or eat this or eat that or stand here and sit there or wear this or wear that, you're going to hell. And there's different levels of it. If you eat during this holiday, you're going to lose years of your life. If you, if you don't observe this holiday, you're going to be stoned, you know, thrown down a mountain with stones. I mean, just, again, they just pull the worst things possible out of the Bible and, you know, out of context and just 
just presented it to me in a way that, that created so much fear and anxiety and shame about it that um, I, I just was running from God. So I, I finally left this place. Um, and I can I can sit here and tell you stories of, of this and how much I ate and how much I stole food because I used food to keep me alive during this whole time period. I, I stole food. I, I would steal money from people. I would steal money from from my parents. I would steal um, food from stores and from restaurants, dine and dash, and and do all sorts of different things just to feed my habit. And you know, I'm so I ran from God. So coming into program years later, I not having any life experience. You know, I, I came into program. I never, I never held a job for more than two or three months at a time. Never, you know, and when I did, it was always minimum wage, which was, which was of course in the three to four dollar range back in back in the uh, late eighties. And I, uh, I, I never kissed a girl. Never went out with, you know, had any sort of any sort of anything with the opposite sex. Um, never, I couldn't eat with a knife and a fork. I, I just had no people skills. I had no, no, um, knowledge of, of so many things. I left school early and I ended up with a GED. So, I mean, it, it was just, it was just a mess growing up and I used food and I relied on food for that. Um, thank God, you know, different things happened and carried me. Um, my grandfather, uh, was going into a nursing home. So they released all the trust money that, that for his grandkids. So I had gotten some money. So I got my first car at the age of 19 and I had my, my first binge mobile. Um, and that's when my disease really progressed from just, you know, taking buses and doing this and doing that and, and finding ways and means to, to eat, to actually having a car, having money and having other things. And it was amazing how much money I spent on food. Um, I wasn't into drugs. I wasn't into alcohol. I wasn't into women. I wasn't into anything. So all of my money went to food. I wasn't working. I wasn't doing anything else. And all I would do all day was just go drive around now and collect food and then go to the side of a supermarket or something and, and just stare at, at the stare at a blank wall, listening to music as loud as possible to just block out life and just eat and eat and eat. And again, that was my life. So when the first step, you know, when I come in and we look at that first step, uh, we've made, we were powerless over food that our lives were unmanageable. I had the unmanageable part down. I, I was definitely unmanageable. Um, first of all, walking around with a 300-pound barbell on my back made my life unmanageable. Let's just put it that way. The powerlessness, I had to be taught what powerlessness was. And thank God, I had good sponsors. Um, I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to tell you, I'm blessed. I've been blessed with good sponsors. And that's why I make, I'm such a proponent to being a sponsor, to getting a sponsor, to having a sponsor and being a sponsor, and make sure your sponsor has a sponsor. So, you know, just things along those lines. So, you know, the, the first step tells me um, admitted, pow admitted powerlessness. You know, the original first step in the six steps of the Oxford movement was complete deflation. You know, when they were first putting the books together, um, they spent from 1935 until 1937 while putting the books together. And then even really until 39 when the book was published, they, they only did the six. They only did six of the 12 steps. They only did six steps. The steps were complete deflation, dependence of guidance on the higher power, moral inventory, confession, restitution, and continued work with other alcoholics. And they got those steps based on the tenets of the Oxford movement. Um, and of course, they left out all the all the religious connotations of the Oxford movement because it was a very Christian, uh, first century Christianity organization. 
So luckily for, for all of us out there that are not Christian and that, that have other beliefs, um, we have an incredible program that these, that these forefathers put together that help us connect with a power greater than ourselves that can be anything. It could be anything we we believe it to be, and that's that's the beauty of this. But before I even get to that, let's let's take a look at at powerlessness. So I was taught what analogy is, and I was taught what what an obsession is, and I, I was taught what a phenomenon of craving is. And what that basically means for me is that when I eat certain foods or act on certain food activities, something happens within me where I just a a, a button clicks, uh, you know, a switch switches, a light switch switches, something lights up in me where I am off and running. Um, it, it may not happen today. Like I can, you know, my, my joke is I can always go and I can go to the supermarket and pick up an Almond Joy bar, you know, great. Uh, and I can go eat it and I'll be fine today. You know, it, it'll be sugar, it'll be fat, it'll be salt, it'll be everything that's in there that makes it absolutely wonderful. Um, and I'll come home and I'll, and I'll be fine with it. But guess what? In two or three days from now, I'll be like, well, you know what? I'm lazy. I don't feel like making anything. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to go to get another um, enjoyable. You know, I know enjoyable sounds really good, but you know what? It's a meal, so I'm going to have a king size. So I'm going to have a double bar. Um, and, and you get the picture. So, But I can tell you that within a month or within a month and a half, I'll be up to 10, 15, 20 candy bars a day because it'll progress from almond joy to planters because planters has eight grams of protein in it. So I can I can like lie to myself and and tell me myself that that's, that's a protein bar. So, um, you know, just things like that. Um, I had to learn what my hot foods were. Um, you know what, there's been a lot of, a lot of great, great qualifications on the doctor's opinion. Um, you know, and, uh, so if you go back and look at these special editions, you'll see some people really break it down. I'm not going to do so much of that today. Um, but what I do with, with new sponsees, is I get them to tell me, what are your hot buttons? You know, what foods do you immediately go to? Give me your top 10, give me your top 20, whatever it is, your top 10 or 20 food, uh, you know, red light foods and red light food behaviors. Tell me like what behaviors are you doing when you're eating certain foods? What behaviors lead you to doing certain things? When I eat standing up in front of the refrigerator, that's a red light food behavior. There's n I have no business doing that, you know, things along those lines. So, uh, I get my sponsees, uh, my new sponsees to, to figure that out and, and I work with them on it and, you know, we, we discuss it, we get through it and we move on and we, you know, go about our lives and we go about their lives and we see what works, what doesn't work and, and we figure it out. We figure out what the yellow light foods are. Um, I'm not a big fan of like green light foods. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of good things that, are, that have been said about that. But to me, you know, if it's not a red light food and it's not a yellow light food, then, then it's everything else. You know, green light is everything else. So I, I just keep it really, really simple. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes we need to hone it down and really work on it some more and whatever. But the key is um, I, uh, I really work with, with my sponsors. I had to work with myself on that. I mean, with, with my sponsor on that and figure that out. And because once those allergic foods are out of the way, 99% of our problem is the obsession of the mind. Because once the, the, the food, or in, in the big book's case, the alcohol, or our alcoholic foods, if you will, are removed from the body and, and are out of our systems for a while so that, so that everything else, our bodies return to normal, the problem lies within us. So, you know, how do we deal with this? 
this is the this is the challenge that all these other diet clubs and all these other places this is where we this is where we sort of excel where everybody else just completely fails and falls on their faces you know a lot of them work on behavioral stuff but the key is 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 we have a spiritual solution because the problem is outlined in the first step and the solution is outlined in the second step so of course the solution is the second step which is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity so you know there's a few things to look at here i didn't think i was insane i thought i was fat i thought i just liked food and i had to of course look at over and over again different examples of of other people in program as well as as uh, stories in the big book um to really understand what what the idea of insanity is and, and that whole idea of, of doing the same thing and expecting different results. So when I think of, of the a perfect idea of insanity, I think of Charlie Brown going and kicking the football. And Charlie Brown, you know, every Sunday he would come out and Lucy would be sitting there and she would hold the football and say, come on, Charlie Brown, come and kick the football. You're great. You're good. And he would go and kick the football and she would pull it away and he'd go, ah, and he'd fall on the ground. And he's like, I'm never going to kick that football again, Lucy. And then, of course, next week she's holding the damn football again and she's convincing him. And, you know, guess what? He goes and runs and kicks the football again. He falls for this every single time. And I'm a little kid watching this saying, Charlie Brown, why are you being so stupid? And then now, you know, 24 years into program, I look at myself back when I was a little kid. Scott, why were you being so stupid? Why were you eating these things? Why were you doing all these things? Why were you killing yourself with thousands and thousands and thousands of calories a day? Yeah, you got to eat a lot to maintain a 500-pound body. So, so, you know, looking at the second step, the big book gives us three whole chapters to really focus on that second step. There is a solution which is, I think, the best, one of the best chapters written in our book. It's my favorite chapter. I'm looking forward to next week's um, special edition on There is a Solution. Uh, it, it really it, it really was the sales chapter. You know, without going into all the history, they really, Bill and Bob, and you know, the first hundred, you know, the first 20, really, um, they, they really had this idea of putting this book together, but they had to raise money to get this book made because, you know, they, they gave of themselves, but they only had so much. A lot of them, it was coming out of the depression and, and everything that was going down. So they had to raise money and they had to do a lot of things. So they, they made a chapter that really outlined what the problem is, what the alcoholic is, and then, and then what the solution is. And it's really such a great chapter because it takes us in a billion directions. Um, it brings us from the idea of fellowship is wonderful, but it's only one part of our recovery. It won't carry us. So right then and there, page 17 tells me that, Scott, you, know, you can go all the meetings you want. You can share all you want. But guess what? That's not a solution. That's just part of a solution. And, and then it goes and tells me about being an alcoholic and, and, and what an alcoholic is and that I'm sick. I, I'm not just... I'm not just some, you know, psycho. I'm not just some horrible person. I'm a sick person. So by me being a compulsive overeater and, you know, now there's all sorts of fancy names for it. You have binge eating disorder and you have this disorder and that disorder. And of course, anorexia and bulimia are in there and, and everything mixed into it. But the key is, is that I'm a very sick person. And, you know, if I had cancer and I couldn't come to the, I couldn't come to the game tonight, people would understand and be like, oh, dude, just chill, just relax, do what you have to do. Um, if I'm in my food and I'm binging and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I don't go to the game, people are going to say, oh, dude, why'd you have to do that? Why, why can't you just do, you know, do this or do that? No, please. You could stop eating. Come on. Just, you know, you have such a handsome face. You know, all that, all that same stupid stuff that we've all heard. 
So the key is, is so there is a solution is like one of the most perfect chapters that they really outline the problem and the solution. And then more about alcoholism and we agnostics are, are just incredibly written to help us believe. You know, the second step talks about belief. Well, I need to believe that I have this problem. I need to believe that I'm insane when it comes to my, my compulsive overeating. So more about alcoholism really helps me understand the insanity of the disease. And it gives me multiple examples of that. And it tells me time and time again that I, if I touch my allergic foods, I'm going to be off and running no matter what. And it also tells me that I have sick thinking. That if I, if I just stop at this point and I try to rely on my own willpower, I'm going to fall on my face every single time. It's like one of those funnels. You, you look at those, I don't know how to explain it, but you give it, look, imagine like a Y, the letter Y, capital letter Y, where there's two lines going into one. Well, imagine the one on the right is, is all the disease, is all the, the compulsive overeating behavior and, and all the thoughts. And then the one on the right is, is, I'm sorry, the one on the left is my willpower. So when those two are mixed together, my willpower loses every single time. It gets diluted by all the disease. And when I'm relying on self-will, I will lose every single time. I need something greater than me that's going to restore me to sanity. So what I was told to do was, you know, to, to get rid of all this religious baggage that I had upon coming into program, I was told to go out and, and well, first of all, write down a help wanted ad. Now, some people have all sorts of different ways of doing help wanted ads. I don't know. I'm old school. I was told to do it New York Times style. You know, um, you go get your, your New York Times paper. You have these little tiny ads that are four or five lines, three or four words per line, and they get the point across to tell people that we need your help. Come on and, and you know, come apply for this job. So I went out and I did that. I put together a help wanted it. And I said, why does it have to be so small? Why can't it be big and vast and everything like, like I want my higher power to be? And they're like, well, Scott, it really should be able to fit on the palm of your hand. I'm like, why, why what, does it need to do that? And I'm like, well, here's the thing. When you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and, and you want to compulsively overeat and you have that obsession and, and, you know, again, an obsession is defined as an idea that rules out all other ideas to the contrary. So if I'm in the middle of that obsession, it's, it's winning. It's beating me. It will beat me every single time. And if, if I wake up and I try to make a bunch of phone calls, I'm not going to be able to get a lot of people on the phone at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah, you know what? My Rolodex has gotten big enough. You know, my, my phone list has gotten big enough to where I could find people at 3 o'clock in the morning overseas, uh, online, here, there, everywhere. You know, thank God we, it's 2015. But when I was first coming into program in the early 90s, there were no cell phones. There was no Internet. There was nothing for me. And all I had was, was you know, the reliance on, on something greater than me. So when I made this ad for this higher power and it was small and it fit on the palm of my hand, at three o'clock in the morning when I want to compulsively overeat and I can't get anybody else on the phone and I can't get a second voice and I don't know what to do, I, I grasp my hand and I hold it together and I say, God, you know, please come to me and please help me with this. And that's the whole point of having this small little, you know, version of the help wanted ad. You know, again, four to five lines, uh, um, I'm sorry, four lines, three to five words per line. And, um, in any case, so I did that, and then I was also told to go out and and listen to other people's higher power, find out what other people are doing for higher power, because I need to abolish, I need to basically fire the high, the God that I had upon walking into program and and find a new one.
So I went out and I just went to a lot of beginners meetings and I found a beginners meeting. I found this gentleman and he sat there and he talked about his higher power and it just snapped something in me. Just, I said, Oh my God, that's my higher power. And I talked to him after the meeting and, and it was just amazing to where I started crafting my first 30 second commercial for higher for God. People ask me, what the heck is a 30 second commercial for God? And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of the elevator speech or this kind of thing or that kind of thing. Well, it's equivalent to you um, being a salesman for, for a company and then you want to sell this major organization, but you can't get an appointment with the CEO. You get an appointment with some mid-level manager who's going to send it up the line. So you're like, all right, and you go there and you get into the elevator. Well, in the elevator comes the CEO of the company and the CEO of the company looks at you and he's like, he's like, Oh wait, I know you, you work for this company and you're coming here today to present to one of my mid-level managers. He says, yeah, well tell me about your company. Well, you got 30 seconds in that elevator to tell him everything and to sell him on your company and why he should be meeting with you. Not, not one of his mid-level managers meeting with you. And so what I was told to do was to go out and make a 30 second commercial to where at any point at any time, anywhere I can, I can talk to somebody and basically sell them on the, my idea of a higher power. Not that my God is greater than your God or not that this or that, but it's just, it's, it's a way for me to understand my higher power. It's a way for me to connect with my higher power. It's a way for me to be able to share with you the virtues and the incredible gifts that my higher power gives me. And, you know, I started creating my first 30 second commercial for it. Um, and it really worked and it, it came, it started coming together to where I really got the second step down. I really understood that this power that's greater than me can restore me to sanity. Now, again, there's not a lot of work to be done with the first and second step. There's a lot of reading. I go through uh, doctor's opinion and Bill's story for the first step. I go through, we, the, there is a solution more about alcoholism and we agnostics for the second step. And we do the help wanted ed. We do the 30 second commercial and we get, I get my sponsees ready for, for, you know, to make a decision, to really make a leap of faith. We open up how it works. And I, I know that there's a lot of people running around who, who have their sponsees read how it works before anything else and look through how it works. And of course there's a lot of meetings that read how it works at the beginning of the meeting. And I was told that if, if I'm reading how it works, it's, it's the equivalent at the beginning of my program. It's the equivalent of me being a basic grade student and, and knowing um, basic math, basic addition and subtraction, maybe a couple of multiplication or, or division examples and them giving me calculus to read. So, you know, it's, it's a lot to swallow in how it works. It's a very strong chapter. Um, of course, it was written a little bit differently than, than what's in the book today. It was written a lot stronger and it was written with a lot more instructions. But what we have today is, is something that's still pretty special. And it really defines what, what, you know, when the rubber hits the road in our program. Because once I understand my problem and once I understand my solution, now I got to get into my program of action. So the, how it works really cracks open my program of action and starts me on step three. Talking about step three, um, another thing I have brand new sponsees do is do a scavenger hunt. I, I love scavenger hunts in the big book. You know, I'm one of those big book geeks who can tell you what's on what page and where and how and why and blah, blah, blah. I've been studying it, my, you know, more than half my life, and it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. So one of the scavenger hunts I have people do is to tell me, starting with step three, where, where does it start? Where does each step start in the big book? 
meaning, you know, you open up page 60 and it says being convinced, you know, in the middle of the page, it says being convinced we are now in step three. Um, and so that's where step three starts. Okay. So then what I have them do is go from there. Tell me where step four, step five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 10, 11, and 12 start. And I have them go through the first 103 pages and find where all these steps start. And it's kind of fun because it gets some reading and understanding and then looking at it and, and really absorbing some of it before I'm, I'm able to take them through it. And I don't have them doing any of the work except, you know, for some, you know, work on, on pages 84 through 88, which I'll get into in a little while. But it's, it's a beautiful thing when it really comes together because it really, it just, it just gets them comfortable with the book. Comfortable holding the book, comfortable reading the book, comfortable bringing it onto the train, comfortable bringing it to to the local places, comfortable hanging out and reading it in public, whatever. So, um, step three, you know, the big book gives us three and a half pages to to really understand the idea of step three. A lot of people put a big big emphasis on step three. I don't really give it that much of an emphasis. Um, I really look at it as like, okay, it's it's a it's a transitionary step. Once we learn the problem in step one and once we learn the solution in step two, we're now ready to jump out into this program of action. So we do step three as a launching point for the rest of the rest of the, the work. So step three just basically tells me that selfishness is my problem. Uh, you know, I, I'm selfish in the sense, in, in every sense of the word. I, I'm not even going to go into all the billion details because I, I want to try to trim this down for time so I can take more of your questions and answers. Um, but, you know, step three is an incredible launching point to where it, it really goes through the fact that, that I've been trying to control the show my whole life, not just with food, but with everything. And I step on the toes of other people. And when they step back, I get resentful and I step harder. I'm like that bull in the china shop when I'm in my cups, you know, when, when I'm in my bowls, uh, I'm I'm. I'm like that bull in a china shop. I'm a monster. I will go out of my way to harm you, to make you feel bad, to, to shame you, to do this and to do that and to do all these unsavory things because I have to win. And, and by doing that, it just, it just destroyed my life. And um, it also created a relapse in me, you know, doing those same types of behaviors. Uh, after my first six or seven years of program, I fell into a relapse when I started making other things my higher power. You know, I started making women my higher power. I started making money my higher power. Uh, I, I went out and I would fly everywhere and I would do this and I would do that and I would be in business. And, and I slowly but surely put, you know, God aside for all these other gods that were out there and that didn't serve me. And of course, I took my will back and my doing that created a relapse that, that lasted many years off and on until this, this recovery came in March of 2003. So but in any case, the, the key for the third step is, is that it's a launching point. It's me understanding that I'm, when I run the own, my own show, everything falls apart. And that what I need to do is let my higher powers will, my high, let my higher power run the show. So by, turning, by making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, I'm not turning my will and my life over to the care of God. I'm making a decision to do that. The action of the third step is the fourth step, which is why they're one-on-one -on -one right, in, right in how it works. They're right after each other. You know, the, um, so the, the, what is my will? I mean, my will is my thoughts. My life is my actions, right? So if I'm willing to turn my thoughts and my actions over to the care of this higher power, then 
then everything else will, will just fall into place. And, you know, once I do that, and once I, I really look at that third step prayer as, you know what, God, you can do great things for me. I really want you to do great things for me, um, but only in the sense that it will show other people your power. It will show other people your grace and your glory and what you've done with me and what you've done for me. Because, um, again, I really don't have a deity in my life. I look at God and him and other words like that as a three-letter, one-syllable word that really just means that it's something greater than me. You know, I can't control the weather. I can't control the time. I can't control, you know, other things that are out there in our universe. I can't control these people that come into my life and, and, and bless me. And, you know, sometimes you know, for a short time and sometimes for a lifetime uh, and sometimes for both because people come in and out of my life. So by going through step three and really making that decision and saying, okay, God, for today, I'm making this decision because, you know, all we have is today. Um, I, I do my third step prayer and, you know, I, I look at the big book and I look at page 63 and on the bottom of page 63, at the very bottom, it says, next we launched on a course of vigorous action. The first step was a personal house cleaning. Um, which many of us have never attempted. So this is where a lot of people stop. And again, in our country and in the world, there's people running around who do, you know, 30 questions, 60 questions, this many questions, that many questions, and they go through the first three steps pretty thoroughly and answer questions on it and do this on it and do that on it and do all sorts of writings on it and they do all sorts of burnings on it and they do all sorts of stuff. But then there's no inventory um, for a lot of people. They do one, two, three, twelve. They they do the one, two, and three, and then they stop, and then they start sponsoring because, you know, in the OA literature, it says we could sponsor up to the level of our recovery, um, up to the level of where we're at. So people start sponsoring new people, and that's wonderful to, to start talking to new people and helping new people. But if you don't take your inventory, share your inventory, get up close and personal with your character defects, make amends to where it needs, you know, where, where they need to be and clear away this wreckage that's in your life that's really blocking you from God then guess what? You really don't have a lot to give. And again, it's my opinion. Um, so, you know, it, it, it says, um, you know, right then and there, that, that little sentence, next we launched on a personal course of vigorous action. So it, it's important where it says we launched, you know, launched is a, is a big word, especially in 1939 where there was no, you know, rockets and there was no this and there was no that. They, they used that word pretty, pretty strongly. And, they, they really are talking about immediate action to immediately start doing your inventory. And I work with my sponsees. I have uh, just, I, I'm a Joe and Charlie fan. Um, you know, without going into all my history, I'm very well connected to Joe and Charlie over the years. And um, I, uh, I, I utilize their, their inventory. Um, their inventory does a couple of things that are different than the inventory that's on page 65 here in the big book. Um, and, you know, I, I always say to people, when you listen to me talking and, and you go through this and you go through that, and if anything I say doesn't jive what the big book says, then go with the big book. You know, go with, go with where the truth is. If you feel like I have some semblance of, of what I'm saying and some value in what I'm saying, that's great. It works for me. Um, but it may not work for everybody. So I do the Joe and Charlie inventory. And, um, of course, you look at the next paragraph, it's, it says, therefore, we, were on a, uh, we started our personal inventory. This was step four. So, again, this is where it says step four, part of my scavenger hunt. Um, so the key to all this, 
is to get them started on, on an inventory, to start with that resentment list. And of course, we do, we do the list column by column. We don't go horizontally, we go vertically. Um, why don't we go horizontally? I'm like, because when you go horizontally, writing the name of the people we resent, writing what we did, writing what they did to us, writing what parts of life, you know, what parts of ourselves affected, we start reliving every single piece of that resentment. And of course, the word resentment in and of itself is a reliving. You know, it's a, it comes from, I believe it comes from the Latin to refeel, to, to continue to feel, to feel again and again and again. And and I don't want to keep feeling those resentments. I want to be free of them. And this, this book, you know, this, this incredible 12-step process helps me do that. And this is really the first part of clearing away the wreckage of the past and clearing my path to those promises that, that we have in, a, in our book. And, of course, there's over 150 promises throughout the big book. And there's some incredible, there's some incredible work that, that, that needs to be done. But in the meantime, if you have a sponsor and you work through this stuff, you do it. You know, the first, the first bunch of alcoholics, you know, they did it with each other, but then this book was sent out to, to, you know, thousands and thousands of people throughout the country. Um, during the second world war and this book was sent all over the place to doctor's offices, to hospitals, to libraries, to people's homes everywhere people were taking themselves through this process people use this book and and this book if you really read it word for word it's really written as a self-help book to, to to take you through these steps and then go find other alcoholics and go help them so you know we're lucky it's 2015 and we're lucky to have the benefit of sponsors and and phone lines like a vision for you and, and incredible networks that we have and we've built these communities um, and you know, these first, these first bunch of alcoholics, they built the communities from scratch and I'll go into that at the end of this when I'm talking about step 12, but you know, the key here, and, and I don't want to spend a long time on this, but the key here is, is I, I give them minimums. I, I give them a minimum of 60 line items a day. So if you're on the resentment column, I want to see 60 resentments. If you're on the causes column, I want to see 60 causes. Now, again, I'm a very simple guy. Uh, I, I like things kept simple. I, I know, you know, we're, we're complicated people. We like to overcomplicate things. We like to have systems and this and that in place. And, and I, I'm very old school. I tell people in under the cause, I want to see three to five words. But, but, but I want to tell you about my whole, I want to write down my whole life story about how my mother did this to me, did that to me. And I hate her. I hate her. I'm like, okay, that's great. And I understand that. And I, I, I certainly hated my mother too for a long time until I learned how to love and forgive her. Um, but the key is, is when we're doing our inventory, we're doing an inventory. We're just doing an inventory. It's four or five key words that are going to help, re help us recall this stuff when we're going through it in our fifth step. Um, it's just like going into a closet and, and opening up my closet, like, all right, seven pairs of pants, 14 dress shirts, 12 t-shirts, 15, 15 pairs of underwear, whatever. I'm doing the inventory. I'm not taking each pair of pants and saying, oh, pair of pants. I wore these pants in 1990 when this girl turned me down and I gained weight and then I couldn't fit into these pants and I hate these pants. No, it's just pair of pants, brown, you know, brown size this next you know, I, I just go through it and we go through the inventory. So we go through three to five words under the causes. And then, of course, in the Joe and Charlie sheets, there's a bunch of columns there. They break it down by the instincts, um, by the social instincts, by the security instinct, by the sexual instinct. Um, and then, of course, you know, the the um, 
uh, I forget the word I'm looking for, but in any case, the uh, what we're looking to to do in the future with these things and how and how these resentments affect our futures um, with these people, etc. So I, I put I make those we do those check marks one column at a time, and then we go to the fourth column and look at where I was where I was at fault. What did I do that caused this? Remember, I told you when I was all selfish and I was stepping on toes of people, they were stepping back. So a lot of times when people step back, I don't remember what I did to them because I'm too busy thinking about what they did to me. So column four really gives me that that ability to say, hey, wow, what was my part in this? Where was I? Selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frightened, inconsiderate. You know, sometimes there's a column five there that says, what could I have done differently or or what, what, what defects did I practice during this? And, and it really helps me get up close and personal with myself. So getting this inventory done, again, 60 line items a day. So if you're on the, the, the um, Affects My page and all you're doing is doing check marks, sometimes I raise that to 80 or 100, especially if I have overachievers. You know, I got some people who say, Scott, you know, I, I did the resentments, I did the first column, and I did 90, and, and, and yesterday I did 100. I'm like, great, your new number is 80. But, but well, yeah, you've proven that you can do so many. Your new number is 80. So if you do 75, tomorrow I want 85. And, yeah, it sounds a little taskmasterish, but you know what? Some people need that. And you know, a lot of people who come to me for sponsorship, they want that. They, they want to be able to get through this as quickly as possible. Um, you know, and then we do the fifth step. We, we get through these, these, you know, the inventory of the resentments and the fears and, and sexual misconduct and harm to others. And, you know, again, Joe and Charlie sheets differ a little bit from here, but um, whatever. And they go through, they go through it in more causes and effects sort of way. And, and then we go into the fifth step again, opening up into action, looking at the bottom of the first, the first paragraph, uh, it says, this brings us to the step five, uh, excuse me, to, to the fifth step in the process, in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. So again, this is where it says the fifth step. So, um, we go through this. Um, I don't read this with people until after they've done the, the fifth step process with me. Um, we go through the inventory. We go through, you know, everything that's in that closet along with why it's in that closet. We, we look at that fourth column and we really do the, the whole turnaround as to where was I, you know, selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frightened, inconsiderate. How did I use those character defects to really harm myself, harm other people? And, you know, do the sick man's prayer and everything related to that. Um, and I really help people really see not that, that they're wrong for everything that they've done, but that they're, they were sick. And because they were sick, you know, they had a part to play in a lot of this stuff. And, you know, without going into a lot of detail, we just we break through this. We go through this. Sometimes it takes, you know, five or six sessions to get through all the resentments, fears and, and everything. But we get through it. And, um, you know, when you read pages 72, 73, 74, a lot of it is, is, you know, how we can hunt around and find the right person to share inventory with. Again, because this book was written as a do-it-yourself at-home guide to it. Um, and today we have sponsors and, and the benefit of, of lots of lots of fellows to, to share this stuff with. But, um, you know, my favorite part of this whole chapter is page 75, where it really lists a bunch of promises. And I look at, at the, the second paragraph where it starts with we, we pocket our pride. Uh, I'm not going to read it. I'll let you guys read it. <clears throat> but in that, in that paragraph, there are 7.5 promises that are listed. It's, it's 7.5 fifth step promises that is on page 75. 
you know, how, how great was that? You know, how uh, wonderful was, was that for Bill and Bob, you know, everybody to write this and have it land on this page with a 7.5 promises on page 75? You know, how cool is that? Um, and then, you know, we look at step six and seven and I, you know, I, I don't always love that six and seven are sort of lumped together, but, you know, I look at them as the barometer steps. They're the steps that are in the middle. And I have my people do a list of character assets and character defects. Um, we go through, and if you look at the top of 76, actually, if you go through 76 at the top, it says, it says, we, we then look at step six and the next paragraph at the, at the end of it, it says, we have now completed step seven. And at the top of the next paragraph, it says, now we need more action. Um, let's look at steps eight and nine. So again, this is where these steps are, are written out, just as part of my scavenger hunt, you know, giving you guys a little cheat sheet on it. So, but, but the key to it is, is that, you know, my people already have realized by doing their inventory, by sharing their, their stuff, they've really become up close and personal with their character defects. You know, step six, I, I look at it as a very powerful step. I have them make a list of character defects, character assets. We go through those. We talk about the, the, how they've helped us in our lives, how they've hurt us in, the, in our lives. And then we cross them out and we give them to God. You know, we, we ask God to please remove each one, one at a time. And, you know, the, the, the character assets are really, really important also because I'm presenting God with, with you know, because I'm, I'm here on the ground. You know, in business, a lot of businesses look at, at uh, you know, business as the, the senior managers are 10,000 feet in the air looking at everything. And in the, the middle managers are, are 5,000 feet in the air. And the supervisors are 3,000 feet in the air. And the, the regular workers are on the ground. Well, you know, I'm a ground troop here and, you know, God is, God is up there, wherever God is, God is everywhere. You know, who am I to say where God is? I don't know if God's up there, down there, over there, whatever. Um, but for the most part, you know, I'm on the ground here, I'm doing the legwork. So by making my list of character assets and my dreams and my, and my goals and my hopes, dreams and aspirations, it really creates, you know, a goal for me and, and things I want to do in life. And it's really helped me in my life. And of course, eight and nine, um, making, you know, I already have the list of character of, of the people I've harmed in my step eight. You know, it says right here that I made that list when I did my inventory. Well, when I was doing my fifth step, you know, when I have my sponsors do their fifth step with me and there's an amend that comes up, I have them put a little asterisk at the end of that column. So when it comes time for, for um, the, the eighth step, all they have to do is look for all those asterisks and be able to... Uh, to make their eight step list right out of that. And then they categorize it based on, you know, when the amend can be made and how the amend can be made, if the amend can be made or, or if the amend can't be made. And then we go through it um, as sort of an, a step 8.5. We, we work on a game plan for it and then they, they go and they do it. And, and uh, the amend process is an amazing one. And, um, and again, just because I'm short on time, I'm just going to go through and touch on on the rest of this and really look at the idea of steps 10 through 12. Um, page 84, again, right in the middle of the page, it says this thought brings us to step 10. So again, down your scavenger hunt, it's right here. And it goes, it goes through and it gives me step-by-step -step instructions on what to do in my daily life. On page 85, at the very bottom, it says step 11, suggest prayer and meditation. So there's where it says step 11. Um, but looking at 84, going back to step 10 for a second, um, in the middle of that paragraph, it says, we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. Now, I have my sponsees actually 
reading page this this from this paragraph all the way to the end of the chapter. So they read pages 84 through 88 every single day. They um, they write a, a little blurb about what jumped out at them today and and why it jumped out at them today and why it's important in their lives um, or how what what they can do for for the future. If you know, obviously they're not at these steps yet, but it's beginning to get them comfortable with taking a look at, at the idea of an inventory or at the idea of connecting with a higher power or at the idea of prayer and meditation. And it really, it's really helpful, you know, continuing in this paragraph, it says we've entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Now, if you look at every single character defect that's ever been created in this universe, they can be all honed down to, to fall into four buckets of selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Every single character defect you could possibly think of can be whittled down into those four buckets. And looking at those four buckets, if I just have four buckets to really look for, it makes my life so much more easier. And then it says, when these crop up, not if they crop up, but when these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately, and we make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. If you've noticed, it says, um, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss with someone immediately, and we make amends quickly, meaning immediately, quickly, on the spot. There's no waiting to the end of the day for this stuff. It has to happen now. Um, And then... You know, and then it gives us this incredible bunch of promises. And people say to me, Scott, you call yourself recovered. And again, I go to a lot of regular OA meetings, and most OAers out there do not. And if, again, if you're only listening to a vision for you, you're in you're in sort of a, a bubble. And if you go outside that bubble, you'll see the the world of OA does typically doesn't, and they they have all sorts of opinions about it. But when you really look at these promises, and you really look at page 85 at the top, in the middle of the first paragraph. It says we are neither fighting it nor are we nor are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. They're talking about the food. They're talking about the obsession of of the mind and the allergy of the body. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. So it's telling me that that if I'm in fit spiritual condition, which of course is the caveat for all this, as it says in the last sentence, if I'm in fit spiritual condition, then God is way more powerful than any obsession I have and any, any sort of idea to the contrary. And the fact that I'm calling myself recovered is a promise that, that people at meetings hear and they're like, wow, okay, well, I'm not, I know I'm not cured because the next paragraph clearly tells me that we're not cured of alcoholism. And what I have is a daily reprieve. I know that I wake up from, you know, wake up every day untreated and that I need to connect with God every single day. I need to do my diligence and, and to live this life. You know, on page 86, um, it, it gives me a step-by-step instructions on how to live my life. It gives me an inventory to do at the end of my day. This is where that whole you know, daily inventory comes from. Uh, it's really a step 11 inventory that, that takes us through uh, all the different aspects of our lives. It gives us 11 questions here to help us go to bed. You know, you know when they say married couples shouldn't go to bed angry. You know, well, 
I shouldn't go to bed angry. I shouldn't go to bed just, you know, I, I, I not only shouldn't go to bed angry, I shouldn't go to bed selfish. I shouldn't go to bed dishonest. I shouldn't go to bed afraid. You know, it, there's a lot of ways that I shouldn't be going to bed. And if I am, I should be giving these things to God and then sharing that list with a sponsor. I don't do this every day. You know, I'll admit it, but I, I do, I do pieces of this inventory um, and I work on it um, through, through it with myself, through others. And of course with my sponsor, and but I have my sponsees put together this inventory and start sending it to me pretty early on in their recovery. Um, and even if they don't understand all the words, even if they haven't been through a lot of it, it, it's really a pretty powerful thing. So, you know, doing this, I get to look at the next paragraph where I now wake up free. Because if I go to bed and I get rid of all this stuff before I go to bed because I gave it to God, I now have an opportunity to wake up free and to spend my day doing prayer, meditation, and connecting with this higher power that I've developed. So it's the same thing with my sponsees. You know, we go through steps eight and nine, and I have them doing 10 and 11 early on. So we're constantly discussing all the ideas within pages 84 through 88 while they're doing all their other steps because they need a way to live. Now, it says we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the wreckage of the past. So as my sponsees are doing their steps four or five, six, seven, eight, nine, they're also learning a way to live so that they don't start collecting new resentments and new fears and new harms, etc. So let's take a look at um, page 89 real quick. And I want to I say a few things about step 12, and then I'm going to shut up and, and take your questions. Um, in the first paragraph here, it says practical experience shows nothing will will much, I'm sorry, I don't have great, great lighting in my room here and I apologize, but practical experience shows that nothing will so, will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. This, this work when other alcohol, this works when all other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Again, this is where it says 12, the 12th step for your little scavenger hunt there. So I hope you wrote them all down because there'll be a test later. But in any case, I want to have a conversation now, just real quick, and I'll spend three to five minutes just talking about this. What are you, and these are just questions for you to ask yourself. What are you doing to carry this message? Okay. Um, if you haven't taken the steps, if you're still compulsively overeating, you know, again, I told you an hour ago or just under an hour ago that, that you never have to compulsively overeat again. I gave you, a, I just went through a very simple way of going through these steps. You know, I have my methods, there's lots of other sponsors who have theirs, but it all comes from the same book. It all it pretty much is the same process. And, you know, the key is, is that, you know, if you're abstinent, if you've been absent for this last hour, then there's no reason why you ever have to compulsively overeat. And if you've done the work, if you're if you're an abstinent compulsive overeater, an abstinent recovered compulsive overeater, and you're not sponsoring, I think that you're robbing from our fellowship. Uh, and again, it's a, it's a personal opinion, and I I'm not the only one who has this opinion. It's it's an opinion of a lot of people out there. But if you're listening to this and you're getting recovery and you're not sponsoring, you're stealing from away. You're not giving back. Um, besides the fact that that if you don't carry this message. I think, you know, for me, you know, I was taught that if I don't carry this, if I don't pass the message, I can't keep it. You know, that whole, um, that whole thing about if you don't, you, you, in order to keep it, you have to give it away. So I'm a believer in that. You know, I'm a believer in that. And I look at this as, you know, in the vision for you, we have a community here, but there's a billion, there's so many people who are sick and suffering in our country. And I talk to a lot of people, especially from the vision for you, who call me after these things. And yeah, I do want your phone calls. Um, my phone number is 
4776. I know Leah will give it out at the end of the call, but I'm giving it out right now in the middle of the recording, so you can call me, 718-440-4776. I also love text messages, although I do have a broken wrist right now, so they're, they're, they're a little slower than, than they usually are. Um, in any case, the bottom line is, is that, you know, let's say I, I bumped into people who've had bad experiences sponsoring, so they shy away from it and they just focus on food or they just focus on this and they focus on that. And I say to them, so you've had a bad experience. You know, again, I've been in program 24 years. I've heard it. I'm not going to say I've heard it all because that would make me a deity, but I, I've heard it. Oh, I've heard every possible excuse one can possibly make as to why they're not sponsoring or to how they're not sponsoring or to why they can't find a sponsor or how they can't find sponsees. And I just have the same words in my head, bull SH. I'm not going to curse today. I promised, uh, I promised myself I wasn't going to use profanity. So let's, let's see if I could stick to that. Bull, I'm sorry. There's a way, there's a way and mean to everything that we want. If you want a sponsor, there are people out there to sponsor. If you need a sponsor, there are ways to find sponsors. I can't go through all of them now because I'm running out of time. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, if I talk to so many people like, oh, the, the, the closest meeting to me is 75 miles away. I only have these phone meetings and these phone meetings are strong and I like this and I like that. I'm like, yeah, but you live in the real world. These first hundred or thousand alcoholics who got this book lived in their own community during the Second World War. You know, you read that working with others chapter, it says go off and make your community. You know, Bill went to drunk tanks to find alcoholics and, and this place and that place to find it. You know, back in the 80s and 90s, before the Internet and before cell phones and before everything, when we all walked around with rolls of quarters in our pockets to make phone calls through pay phones, um, you, we would put up signs in, in supermarkets. You know, and the sign would say, you know, OA makes them. I mean, it, it's out there. It says, do you have a problem with food? Is sugar a problem for you? Whatever. You know, it, it, there's all sorts of community outreach that our fellowship has online that you can download and you can print out. Um, there's all sorts of things that you can do to get into public newspapers, like little newspapers, community newsletters. Um, I had somebody who made a, a little outreach stand in their supermarket, in the fruit section of their supermarket. I, I would say do it in the cookie aisle, but, you know, that's a little too much. Um, Leah, I'm hearing a lot of background noise. Is this normal? Um. I'm not. Okay. Oh, and that's fine. Then I'm just going to, I'll just deal with it. Um, in any case, so, you know, it just, my final words are make your own community. You know, make your own community. Um, I, had a, I have a friend who's an artist and, and, you know, we were having a discussion this morning about this. And it's like, you know, go, most supermarkets and most libraries have a bulletin board, an old school bulletin board where people just put up signs. Go get some construction paper. Go make a sign. Put it in a different color. You know, make a make a purple paper with white writing on it. People will look at that and just say, is food a problem for you? Do you have a problem with food? And put some, some of those 15 questions on there and give your contact information. Make a community for yourself. This is what the first 100 alcoholics did, and this is what we need to do. We need to be out there finding sponsees in our community. Yeah, it's great to sponsor people over the phone, and we have a great network for that. And, and OA has given us an incredible network of meetings, you know, hundreds and hundreds of meetings a week. But but the key is, is is that, you know, the nuts and bolts of this stuff happens when one person talks to another person, connecting with them, you know, you know, holding hands with a sponsee, saying the third step prayer is something way more powerful than I can ever, 
tell you. Sitting with somebody across at a diner, sharing their fifth step with you or in their home or in my home, looking at looking them in the eye and having them share something that they've never shared with anybody else is an experience, is, is a power, is a powerful thing. It's doing God's work and it's something that really needs to be done. It's our duty to carry this message. You know, and for people who, who let's say they're, they're time constrained and they, they can only sponsor people from uh, five to six in the evening or from seven to eight at night or whatever it is, and they can't find sponsees who will fit that time. I, I think of an old, an old example of, you know, women and men, and they say, well, men are like buses. There'll be a new one every 20 minutes. I'm like, well, you know what? Guess what? Sponsees are like buses, too. I mean, if we listen to enough of these meetings and we go to enough meetings, we will find a sponsee who will fit our time constraints. So keep hunting. Keep looking. And it's so important to carry this message. Um, and, but it's also important to get this message. You know, on page 164, it says, you know, we, we, can't, we can't transmit something we haven't got. So it's so important to carry this message and to really bring it into our lives um, bring it into other people's lives and to grow and, and just to grow. And it's, it's such an incredible, powerful thing that's really helped my recovery. Cause you know, that, that promise in the beginning of working with others that says nothing will ensure immunity from compulsive overeating as work as intensive work with other alcoholics. It, it really, it really means true. It, it brings it all home. It, it keeps it green for me. It, it reminds me of what it used to be like. It also helps keep me sharp on my program. So with that, I'm going to pass and just say thank you so much. I really look forward to your questions, and I look forward to your calls. Although today is probably not a great day for phone calls because I'm tied up, but, um, but certainly leave messages, and I will get back to you shortly. Thank you so much, Scotty, for carrying this clear and simply stated message of the recovery process found in the big book. We thank you for your passion and inspiration this morning. We'll now open the floor for question answers, you can do so by pressing star 1 to unmute. Please identify yourself by name. Please, questions only. Who's first? Mara Z. Mara Z. Chrissy M. Who'd Phil I miss? D. Phil D. From New York City. Phil. Yep. Okay. So I've got Sarah W., Mara Z., Chrissy M., Phil. Anybody else? Tracy. Tracy. Okay, let's start with Sarah W. Thank you, Leah, for your service. Good morning, Scotty. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. It was wonderful. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about sponsorship. And, um, uh, you know, when you when you have completed the steps with somebody, how do you go about um, – do you continue to sponsor? Uh, you know, because you know I do, and I just was wondering what your what your take on that was. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, yeah, I, I continue. I, I all right. Let's see. I currently am going through the steps. Uh, going through, you know, the the one the one through nine process with uh, about four people right now, and I have nine other people who have gone through this process with me and send me, uh, most of them send me it every day. Some of them send me it three times a week in 11 step inventory. Um, I have phone calls with them, not scheduled. We just call each other when we can catch each other. 
Um, unless somebody's going through a specific issue, I'll, I'll have conversations with them. So, you know, their main goal at this point of their recovery is to find sponsees. And I will ride them until they find multiple a sponsee or two, because I always think it's good to have two. Don't keep all your eggs in one recovery basket. Um, and I will ride them until they're finding, you know, we live in New York City. There's a billion people to sponsor here. Uh, go out and do it. And if you can't find one, then you're not trying hard enough. So, you know, again, I, I push my people. So at that point in their recovery, they're sending me 11 step inventories. They're calling me every once in a while. We chit chat. I'm, in, I'm involved with their lives. I hang out with them. We have, we have meals together. We, we break bread and we also, we, we do recovery, you know, not necessarily the bread part, but you know what I mean. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, sure. Sarah W. Mara Z, your turn. Why did you call Mara Z? I did. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you so much, Scotty K. And uh, go Yankees. Um, I have a, <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> I have a, um, I have a, um, a quick question. Um, my understanding is that when we do the fourth step, we're looking at our resentments, the phrase that has always been told to me is that we look for our grosser handicaps. So my question to you is, what value do you find in having your sponsees list 60 resentments? Um, well, for an in, if I'm taking on somebody who's never done this before, I have them do a, a resentment inventory. I, I know the big book talks about the grocery handicaps, but again, when, when they first started, all they would do for a moral inventory is list their character assets and their character defects. And then, you know, and then they went over those character defects, going into examples of how they, you know, how they use those character defects to harm other people, to harm themselves, and to really ruin their lives. The resentment list came along when they were doing their restitution step. When they made a list, you know, in Bill's story on page 13, he said, I don't have the book in front of me right now, but it basically said, I made a list of people whom I, I felt I harmed and whom I felt resentment. So they made, he initially made the resentment list when it came time for making the, um, the restitution piece, because how else am I going to find the people I harmed when, than the people who I hate? So I, I just find it incredibly necessary to, to do a thorough list to get it out of the way. Because I tell people, once you do the list once, I don't think you ever have to do it again. But let's say you do want to do it again. I, and I catch somebody, let's say, you know, 10 years into program, wants to reinvigorate themselves, coming out of relapse, whatever. I have them do a, you know, a list based on their current resentments, you know, what they have going on right now. You don't need to creep back into the stuff when you were seven. You dealt with that stuff during your first inventory, and you have that inventory. So let's look at the stuff you're currently resentful at, and we deal with it. And again, it's, it's all the whole reason for resentments and fears in the whole inventory is for cause and effect. It really just helps us understand what is in us and what's blocking us from God. And it's whole, the whole method of it is, is to clear away this, this, you know, all this stuff that, that's blocking us from God. So that's, you know, if you want to look at gross or handicaps and you want to look at all the stuff that's really hurting and really, you know, the stuff that's at the top level, I, I think there's a lot of stuff underneath that, that really is harming us too. And that's why I, I take value in that. And that's just what I do. So, Thank you. Appreciate your answer and your time. Of course. Thank you, Maura. Chrissy M., your turn. Thank you. Hi, Christy. I'm recovering, recovered, compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. Um, thank you so much. My question is this. I have someone who 
keeps calling me, um, interested in having me sponsor her. And we have this sticking point. And you had mentioned, Scott, about the eating behaviors. I have, an eating, beha- I have eating behaviors where I'm a low bottom, and anything that makes um, food fun for me is a problem. So, and this is for today. I'm seven months abstinent. Um, going out to eat, making, making holidays around food, all of these things are behaviors for me that are a problem. And I have um, someone who really wants me to bring her through the steps, but we have the sticking point where she makes all of her um, business around researching restaurants. There's so much activity and thought that goes into all of this. <laughs> yes. And and I I I just got this nudging in in my in myself that this is a block for her and that I don't feel like she's abstinent and we could dive into the steps. I feel like we're still stuck on step one. I just wanted to throw that out to you because every time I hang up, I'm like I have this self doubt. Like my God, are you being such a stickler? You know, but it's just that how adamant she is that she doesn't want to give up the behavior. I've given her lots of suggestions about making meetings around tea, making meetings around, you know, I'm making the pitch so I don't need to eat. I mean, I, I know that alcoholics, and I'll wrap it up really quickly, alcoholics who do business and are recovering go out in this world of alcohol and business deals and golf, you know, and they find ways not to make it about the drink. So I'm just throwing that out to you because I'm just doubting myself. I hope you understand my question. I do. Uh, first of all, congratulations on your seven months of absence. It's fantastic. Um, you know, the, the key for me, there's a few avenues you can go. But again, I, I'm not here to, to you know, tell you what to do. All I can tell you is my experience. I mean, right now I'm sponsoring somebody who's an anorexic. The anorexics of all anorexics, she has a story. She's my age, you know, and, and she talks about, you know, eating grapes, but taking the skin off of the grapes because it was too fattening. You know, we're eating three grapes a day or two grapes a day and taking the skin off of them. I can't fathom that. You know, I'm a compulsive overeater. I, I'm a binge eater. I'm a volume eater. I am a this, I'm a that. That's just me. So, you know, my absence is different. My absence is different than other people's. And, you know, the key is, is that it, not all of us share the same things. And the other piece of it, again, this might go against your personal stuff, but, but I mean, God gave us a tongue for a reason. Food tastes good for a reason, just like sex feels good for a reason. You know, I mean, all these, but the thing is we've taken these things and we've abused them in our lives and we've done certain things. So for me, you know, I still love eating. I, I enjoy eating. You know, I, 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 I go to eating functions. I do that. I do this. I do that. I just fit my absence within that. And I make that happen for me. And if, if a sponsee of mine, you know, works with food or loves food or, or loves to, you know, enjoy food, uh, then God bless. I, I would, I would personally would, would take them through steps as long as they're sticking to a food plan or something that makes sense for them. And, and then just see where it goes. And then if it goes, if it starts going south, then you kind of know your answer. But if it continues on, how do you know that this person's not going to blossom and, and do this or that? So, I mean, I don't know. That's just a personal path I would do. Thank you, Chrissy. Um, Phil D., you're up. Hello, this is Phil from New York City. What's up, Scotty? Hey, Phil. What's up, buddy? 
Right on, man. All right, so I'm just going to be a little devil's advocate over here, or, or daredevil's advocate, however you want to say it. Um, here's the deal. What do you think about all the, all the people that you might sponsor or, or come to you and say this, and when it comes time for them to sponsor, all of a sudden they're afraid that they don't have enough time. Oh, my job's in the way. Oh, this is in the way. Oh, I want to be able to have a relationship. You're not even in a relationship. What are you talking about? kind of thing. What do you say to all these people that are afraid to take on that first sponsee, people out there right now that might not, you know, they're nervous about this thing, like, oh, I don't know if I can do this because it will take too much time out of my busy life. <laughs> um, you know, again, just like I shared when I was going through my 12-step stuff, I, 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 I ride my sponsees. You know, I, I'm on top of them to find sponsees. I, I constantly show them over and over again how everything that they've put together in their, in their recovery, you know, this, this great mountain of recovery, how it can fall apart so easy if they're not carrying the message. And if they have time constraints or if they have this constraint or that constraint, you will find a sponsor that will fit within that. Just like I was saying with the buses thing, you know, and then sponsors are like buses. You know, it's the same, it's the same concept. I mean, I don't want to trivialize a sponsee, but, but I'll tell you that it's amazing how, you know, how when we put it out there that we're, that we're an available sponsor, that we have a semblance of recovery that we'd like to share – um, how we can find them. And if we're not feeling adequate about it, and I have somebody who comes to me and dares to come to me to tell me that they're, and I say dares because, you know, it's just the kind of sponsor that I am because they, they know if they've worked with me through all the steps, they knew, they know their virtues, you know, and sometimes they're coming to me, you know, just like in customer service, when somebody comes and says, I want to cancel my service, they don't really want to cancel. They want attention. So if I have a sponsor who comes to me and tells me, oh, I don't feel adequate enough to sponsor and, and I can't do the big book like you do and I can't do this like you do, and I tell them, then do it like you do. You know what? I fell on my face so many times sponsoring people. It, you know, I, I mean, who knows? I mean, God will give you what you need. And, and yeah, I've been sponsoring for the greater part of, of more than two decades, you know, minus some relapse time. I've been sponsoring for the, for the greater part of that time. So I have a lot of experience, and I've heard every excuse in the world, and there's no excuse for not sponsoring if you are abstinent and if you have, if you have the, the, the work done. And just get out there and do it and figure it out. And I will help them find ways to figure out. I'll stroke them and tell them how wonderful they are and how much recovery they have and how far they've come. And I usually tell people, you know what, you're on the 12th step. You know, you're doing this, you're doing that. Take a look down. Take a look at that 12,000-foot mountain that you've climbed to get yourself where you're at. And, they t and, and I, I have them imagine themselves on the top of a mountain, look down, and look at that 12,000 feet that they've climbed, that they've worked their ass off to get up there. And then they look down and they're like, oh, my God, look, look how far I've gone. But guess what? You can now turn around and help somebody else climb that mountain, too, because you know how to do it. Now get out there and do it. And that's it. Thank you, Phil. Tracy, you're up. Hi, this is, this is Tracy from Ottawa, Canada. Um, my question is, uh, when do you get your sponsees to put the fo food down is it like between steps one and two, like you, you go through step one together and then you ask them to put the food down before you start um, step two? Um, well, you know, I kind of look at abstinence as step zero in some ways. Um, you know, again, I, I, have, I have a couple of rules around it, but for the most part, as soon as I start working with somebody, 
um, if they're if they're sort of seasoned, you know, I found you know I found my sweet spot over the years is kind of helping people who fall on their face a bunch of times and then need you know finally want to get past all the OA books and all the this book and that book and really get into the recovery. But I also work with brand newcomers who don't know what an absence is, don't know what you know what a serving size is. So I work with them on that. And yeah, I, I'm working with them while they're doing it. So if we put together an abstinence, a basic abstinence, for instance, I had this one woman walk up to me after my Saturday morning meeting and it was literally, you know, Hey, I really like what you have. Can you sponsor me? You know, and she's brand new. She's been in program maybe two or three months. I bumped into her at meetings here and there. She always goes to the same couple of meetings. She's a mom. She, she has this, she's really busy and she's not abstinent. She, she says that she's not abstinent and she's come to me at the end of this meeting and at you know outside when I'm ready to go home, and she looks at me, she says, "Can you sponsor me?" I'm like, "Well, you know, why don't you give me a phone call and why don't you figure this out?" But in the meantime, you know, what what absence do you have? What what are you doing with food? Oh, I don't know. I'm all over the place. I'm like, "All right, here's the thing." When I first got this absence, this 12 years that I have now, my sponsor basically said to me, Scott, I don't care if you eat an elephant for breakfast, a rhinoceros for lunch, and a hippopotamus for dinner, three meals a day, two snacks, nothing, you know, three meals a day, nothing in between. Her, her thing was three meals, nothing in between. I'm a fan of, of multiple meals, like five, you know, five small meals a day, whatever. So I just said to this woman, I'm like, you know what, just eat what makes sense to you. It's 2015. We all know how to eat. You have kids. You know what nutrition is. Uh, you know, just just do three meals and two snacks and call me Monday and we'll talk. And she said, okay, you know, we traded numbers and, and went off. And that's, you know, hopefully she's done that and, and got herself started. But to answer your question regarding steps, um, if I'm reading with somebody and going through the doctor's opinion and Bill's story and, you know, all the, the first bunch of chapters, I need seven clean days to do that. Because if we don't have at least seven days, it's going to go right over their heads, typically. Um, and again, I'm just based, basing this on hist history. You know, again, I have a long history of this stuff, so I have a lot of experience with with people bouncing around and and not you know eating through different things and eat, not eating through certain things. So I usually ask for seven clean days, and if they've picked up, um, I usually stop reading with them for a week, and we discuss other things. I have them doing other assignments and reading other things in the big book, and and really getting themselves back together while they're getting that allergy out of their body. Um, and then once we get into how it works and some of the other steps, then if you're in the middle of their inventory and they pick up, I usually help them put it down, but I don't have them stop doing the work of the inventory because that work needs to be done. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot more to be said about it, but for the, you know, for the sake of brevity, just give me a call and we'll discuss. Thank you, Tracy. Who else has a question this morning for Scotty? Star one to unmute. To identify yourself, please. Jan J. Jan. Who else? Star one to unmute. If it's on your mind, I'm sure it's on others' minds as well. Hi, this Jan. is Jane. Uh, Jane, babe. Jane. And was there someone else? Yeah, my name's Debbie. Debbie. Okay, let's start with Jan, please. Hi, Scotty. Thank you so much. Um, you gave me so much today, and you crystallized the program. I'm new. I just recently got a sponsor. Thank God. I thought it was going to be so hard, but, you know, I just knew that I would get one, and 
I kept going on the lines and sort of selling myself. Um, the question that I have to ask for you is, um, one, you know, you really brought home to me the fact that I need to go to my home group. I sort of gave that up when I came to A Vision for You, but I think you reminded me that I need to go to a live meeting and actually, you know, sell this program of recovery. The question I have to ask for you, why do you have people specifically read pages 84 to 88 every day? Like, I want to do that, but what should I be looking to get from that? Um, thank you for the question. Uh, 84 through 88 outlines steps 10 and 11, um, and it also outlines a way for us to live our lives on an everyday basis. Um, again, just, just like I pointed out on page 84, it tells us what to do when things crop up, when selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, things along those lines crop up. And we, it gives us instructions on what to do, basically doing steps four through nine on it, even as a newcomer. And even if you haven't gone through the steps, you can still, you know, tell other people what's going on with you. You could still make amends quickly if you've harmed anyone quickly. Like if, you know, if you bump into somebody in the street, you're going to turn around and go, oh, geez, I'm sorry. Did I hurt you? Oh, let me help you pick that up. You know, it's, it's sort of living our lives like that, but on a much grander scale. Um, and, you know, the reason, again, that's just a daily instruction on there. You know, there's a whole bunch of promises on pages 84 and 85, and then there's a whole bunch more throughout the rest of the chapter here and there. So it gets people involved with reading promises and seeing, you know, what their life can be like. Because if you look at the ninth step promises, they're all in future tense. This will happen. That will happen. This is going to happen. You know, if you look at the tenth and the tenth step promises, they're all in present tense. So it's it's really it, you're reading it as if it's happening right now, and it's a psychological thing as well as as an emotional thing to say, wow, you know, I may not feel like I'm in a position of neutrality now, but I can't wait till I am. And guess what? If I do this work, then I will be. And because it's telling me it's not going to happen, it will have happened if I do the work. So that's another great thing. Plus, you know, on page 86, it gives us the inventory. And I have my sponsees do that, do that inventory every single day. Um, even if they're doing their, their third step and their fourth step and, if, you know, we're doing their fifth step, they still send that inventory because it gets them used to sharing, you know, any, you know, apologies that need to be made, any place that anywhere that they could have improved in their lives. You know, how could they have brought God into their world? And, it, and then it just gives some basic ideas of, of prayer and meditation, which I have my people doing right away. You know, can, once you connect with a power grade in yourself and you really can figure out what, what your higher power is in steps two and three, then there's no reason why you can't continue living that way with prayer and meditation um, in, in your daily life every single day while you're going through and have it carry you through those other steps. That's kind of, I think, is a secret sauce in how people remain abstinent in going through with these other steps because it's really hard to do that. If you're not relying on higher power, then, then it's your own self-will that's stopping you from compulsively overeating. So by doing this, it kind of is a secret sauce to help people really rely on, on, on their, their idea of a God to get them through the other work. And once they're through the other work, boom, they're recovered and they get to now go help other people. So it is a method to the madness, but, but it, it's really helpful. And all you're doing is reading it. So just read it. Read it. You know, give me a call tomorrow. Read it today. Think of, think of things that jumped out of you. Give me a call tomorrow and let me know how it goes. Thank you, Jan. Jane B., your turn. Yeah, thank you, Leah. Uh, thank you, Scotty, very much. Jane B. from Delray Beach, Florida. 
I really appreciate your thorough uh, understanding of the steps. You really came across very strongly for me. Um, I have a question about six and seven. You had gone over it quickly, but um, you know it does say in the big book that when we, we take the fifth step with our sponsee, or if, if you're taking it with somebody else, and that we that we return to a find a place where we, you know we stay quiet for an hour and mm-hmm. make sure there isn't anything else that we need to to go over that we're hiding that we might want to talk about. So my understanding is. We take the sixth step, and then we say the seventh, and we, you know, we go into the seventh step prayer. Do you, at what point do you go over the character defects? Do you go after you've taken the seventh step with them, or is that something you go over all? I guess it's between five and seven that I was a little confused. Pretty about. much, I do. Um, again, when you look at what the first hundred alcoholics did. Um, all you know those those steps are pretty vague, but when you read the, the writing around it in stories like he sold himself short, keys to the kingdom, even Bill's story, it talks about making you know a list of character defects and then figuring out how those character defects were harming me and and how they they were hurting me and blocking me from God. So by doing the fourth step inventory, um, what that really does is again it's cause and effect. So it, it kind of at the end of the inventory, we kind of see where our roles were in all this. While they're doing their inventories and while they're doing their other steps and while we're reading and writing, I have them secretly making this list. It's not so secret, but I have them making a list of character assets and character defects all the way through. So you, people say to me, well, why? How, how do people know? I'm like, well, most people know their char- the basic, I, you know, some basic character defects. People know some basic assets. I've given them some instructions on what a defect is and what an asset is. Um, a defect is something that when put into practice brings us away from our higher power. A character asset is something that when put into practice brings us close to the higher power. So they have, I have them making this list on the side while they're doing their inventory and while they're doing the fifth step so that by the time they're done with their fifth step, we can immediately go into six and seven after taking that hour. And that hour is a pretty important hour. Um, what I'll typically do with somebody is we'll go through, you know, we'll finish their fifth step. We'll have dinner together. I'm, usually I do it in somebody's home or my home. So we'll have dinner together. We'll watch some TV. We'll hang out. We'll talk about different things. And then we'll get together and we'll pull out that list of defects and assets and we'll work on it in six and seven. And I have a very specific way that I do six and seven, um, which I will be putting together a presentation for um, a vision for you um, if, if they'll have me and, and they'll have me do it um, within you know the next few months, unless somebody does it first, which is awesome. You know, I'll be excited to hear it. So that's, uh, that's kind of the answer. I hope that's the answer that you were looking for. Thank you, Jane. And our final question this morning. Thank you. Final question this morning comes from Debbie. Hi. Thanks very much, Scotty, for your service and for sharing. I just wonder if you could speak a little bit about, um, there's one promise that I'd like to have that I don't yet, (laughs) about regretting the past. can you would you mind giving some comments about um you know maybe help in that area and cuz i have a you know i've just noticed that it's it's hard for me to regret the past i know i can't change it and um you know i know working the program and using the serenity prayer you know are things that i've tried and i i am working the steps but i i do have regrets um from the past and i wondered if you would just share your thoughts on maybe help in that area thank you so much 
Sure. Um, it's one of my favorite promises. Um, you know, it says we will not regret the past and wish to shut the door on it. And I think it's an important promise. It's, it's one of the promises that really belong where it is in the big book, because I don't think that people will stop regretting the past until they're done with their ninth step or until they're at least halfway done. You know, the promises, the, the ninth step promises are in 83 and 84. Say, if we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. Well, of course, we know the phase of the development is the ninth step, um, and we'll be amazed before they're halfway through. Uh, and again, they're future tense. So it's, you know, not everything comes immediately, but it tells us what it's going to have. Now, I love the fact that, because by the time I'm done with my ninth step and I've gone and made my amends, not only that, but I've also made a list of, of my resentments and fears, and I've, bec I've come up close and personal with my character defects and the things that are blocking me from God and the things that are also bringing me closer to, to God and, and going on and making those amends. I can really look at all the bad stuff that I've done in my life and all the, the, the not-so-savory so um the unsavory things that I've done in my life to have that turn around and, and be able to help somebody with that stuff. I sort of look at it as like putting a glass door on those things so that I can put a glass door there and be able to look, look out at them and look out at my old behaviors and all the, the horrible things and all the unsavory things I did with food, with women, with, with, with my body, with, with all sorts of stuff and be able to, to turn that around and to help other people with that and not regret those things. Because it's sad, you know, when we really look at it, we're, we're regretting it, and then we can get into self-pity, and, you know, the, the, key, the key word in self-pity is self. And if I'm wrapped up in myself, then I'm running the show, which means that higher power has no, no place here. So by doing that, I'm, I'm blocking higher power from the room. So if I invite higher power in and bring higher power in and keep higher power here, then, then there's no regret because anything that happened had to happen for me to continue the life I'm going to live now. And, and it's all based on higher power's will. You know, in Bill's story, it says God was either everything or God was nothing. So, you know, and again, that quote comes from a few places, um, famous, which Albert Einstein said that quote. So if I'm going to look at God as everything, then my past and all the, all the horrible things I did in my past, um, they, they were part of me. That's what made, that's what makes me me today. You know, a 45 year old man running around doing this and doing that. And, you know, I not only have lots of experience with compulsive eating and, and of the such, but also life experience that I can certainly carry and help others with. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you to everyone who posed questions this morning. Of course, if you have a question, you'd like to discuss that with Scotty offline. His number is 718-440. 776. And we thank you, Scotty, for your generous service this morning. And I'm going to close in the way we always close. Would and you that's please that number, please? I will at the conclusion. Yes, I will. Thank you, Scotty, again. Thanks, everybody. And I'm going to close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.